the impossibility of honest politicians and protecting our kids from the most insidious fake news. Ask me anything for episode EF3. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF26 of the Evolve Faster podcast. Quick spoiler alert, you're about to listen to an Ask Me Anything relating back to episode EFP7, which was season one, episode five, titled Sleight of Mind, The Black Magic of Rhetoric. Last week, I did a behind the podcast on this same episode. And this week, I'm just going to answer another set of questions less related to how the podcast was created and more about the episode itself. So let me briefly remind you, this was the episode about Edward, who was the marketing and propaganda master. And from the description of the episode, let me just read the the part about the, the proofs. Since perfected by the ancient Greeks, rhetoric has slowly devolved from a respected art into a manipulative tool used in marketing, politics, and any other walk of life where mental and verbal coercion pays. Rhetoric, propaganda, and the strategic use of logical fallacies are mental and verbal manipulations similar to the dark arts of black magic in that they create smoke and mirrors to change minds to believe mistruths. And unlike a magician who deceives to entertain, these dark wizards act maliciously in pursuit of profit and power over others. There may be spoilers. I'll try to keep them to a minimum. And we're going to try to go through the following list of questions. Is this really what happens in politics? Are there any honest politicians anymore? Does just knowing about conformism help you not let it happen to you? What do we do about the problem of fake news? Was there fake news before the internet? Is this really what happens in politics? Are elections really won more on misdirections and fallacy than on a platform of truth, say, in the United States? Who can I trust? And who is most at risk? And how can I keep my kids away from shit like this? So hopefully we'll get through all of those. Is this really what happens in politics? I don't know much. I'm not, I'm not a political person. But what I do know about the way the political machine and process has evolved, devolved, in my opinion, seems impossible to reverse in the United States. You know, the electoral college just doesn't make sense. The gerrymandering that's happened with changing congressional districts to slice and dice who you want to vote for you, campaign finance disasters that have happened in the, in the last 10 years, and basically allowing, you know, anonymous corporations to be buying elections. There seems to be no way to reverse term limits since you'd have to get politicians to reverse term limits. Um, You have over 100 years of layered corporate-friendly law that is just making it more and more profitable to be in politics. These are the types of things I see in America, and I feel like any country that seems to be following in our footsteps or is leading us, you know, there are places that pave the way for this type of kleptocracy like Russia and other places. So how do you change this? I mean, the next generation just has to realize it's it's completely screwed. And I think put artificial intelligence in control. <laughs> so if there's another way, I don't know what it is because humans don't seem to be able to, to manage this reality of what's gone on in politics and what that's done to our discourse. So as I said in the behind the podcast of this episode, I'm not qualified to talk about politics and I don't care to invest much time in it. I think of the episode as a movie that in a way ridicules politics 
in the vein of something like Dr. Strangelove. I doubt people in power juggle huge balls, balls shaped like the world in their office, but it sends a message. To the same extent, I doubt politicians and marketing advisors talk about lemmings and carrots as our characters do in the, in the episode. But the goal of the episode isn't to necessarily debunk the way politics work. I don't even know for sure what goes on. But like with every episode, the goal was to try and shed some light on how we as consumers might approach a certain, certain topic just like the core psychology manipulation at play beneath politics or the meaning of life, depending on the episode. So just look at the media at the time of the last presidential elections. One side would spin a story to make Trump look like a bad choice, and the other side spun the same story to do the exact opposite, or the same to Hillary Clinton. Same facts, different spin, no value. <laughs> According to Oxford Dictionary, the definition of politics is the activities associated with the governance of a country or area, especially the debate between parties having power. So if you stop to think about that for a second, don't you think it's strange that in the definition there isn't even a mention of the entity for whom politics exists in the first place? And that is the people, of course. Politics should be a science with the main purpose of making the lives of citizens better. Yet we're looking at a definition that first and foremost talks about two sides fighting as if it were a boxing match. This slight yet interesting shift in the very core of how we define politics should be enough for us to scratch our heads, don't you think? Because what makes more sense? Politics being a business or politics as an art of making the life of a certain group better? The machines get my vote. I want a Rawls, John Rawls AI machine to run for office. Anyone want to help me build one? Are there any honest politicians anymore? Hard to tell, but in America, it certainly seems unlikely. I'm from Illinois, where four of the last seven governors have gone to prison based on some shady shit they did while they were in office. That's more than half. And those are the fools who got caught. So yeah, you tell me. It almost seems like it comes with the job. After you finish your duty as a final step, you go to prison to spend some part of the rest of your life in peace and quiet. <laughs> There's a term in political reporting called the Kinsley gaffe. And this was coined by Michael Kinsley to imply when a politician inadvertently speaks the truth. So I recall a Wired article recently about the Trump investigation, and it was quoting Nancy Pelosi saying that quote, something like, Trump wasn't worth an impeachment. And it appears this is where we are, that there's literally almost nothing true that comes out of their mouths. So in the article, it was saying that she made a, a Kinsley gaffe by actually speaking the truth about the situation with Trump and not being worth impeaching him. So it, it's literally their job to say that which most of their base wants to hear. Not what the truth is, not what they actually stand for, if any of them even know what that is, especially these ones that have been in office for literally decades. According to a Reason poll done a couple years ago, before Trump's presidency, Americans believed that 75% of politicians are corrupt, while for 70%, we believed politicians use power to hurt enemies. Another study at Cornell shows that we will overlook dishonesty if it benefits us and the group we identify with. So there are certainly good politicians, same as there are bad politicians. But if the people 
who chose them lack the reason to make good decisions, what else is what else can we expect? So yes, four of the last seven government governors in Illinois ended up in prison. But first, they had to use our help to get in a situation where they will screw everything up and then end up behind bars. So I'll defer back to my previous answer. That being, the future is robot politicians. Literally anything is better than the system we have right now. I'd even elect preschoolers. Though the system is so screwed up and skewed in the favor of career politicians that I think even the robots and children would be corrupt almost immediately. Does just knowing about conformism help you to not allow it to happen? The reason I like this question is that it nails down the obscurity of how hard it can be for all of us to be aware. It really is hard work to keep your mind open and on the lookout every single day. It's almost as if it's an evolutionary step humankind hasn't managed to actually pull off. Humanity achieved consciousness through evolution, but in a way, we still don't know what the hell to actually do with it. We don't know what it is, for God's sakes. Let's do a little mental exercise just to stretch out. The definition of conformism, or rather a conformist, is a person who uncritically or habitually conforms to the customs, rules, and styles of a group. So that sounds correct, right? But will you take my word that that's the real definition of a conformist? and in a way conform to what I have to say? Or will you go search and check if that's what being a conformist actually means? Because I, what I could have done right there is twisted it just slightly, and then the next time twisted just slightly more. So even further, once you find a definition online, same as I did, will you take what that website says for granted? How can you or I know that's the right definition? Are we just conforming to that website, what it's claiming, because it's what we deep inside want the definition to be, or think we remember it to be, using our scientifically proven faulty memories, without going further in this rabbit hole, which is, by the way, a certain one-way ticket to madness, we're left with the final question, well, what can we do then? What we can possibly do is practice our critical thinking. We have the definition, and the first thing we decide is if we'll use the definition as a tool for further actions, like picking the correct knife depending on what you want to cut. Then like with everything else, we need to have the actual skill to effectively use the tool. So it comes to that, skill. It seems an odd thing to call it a skill since it seems more like something we're gifted with, but not all thinking or thinkers are created equal. Some practice, get better at it and become far more adept thinkers. And some of those will unfortunately use that skill to manipulate others. So if you're in the skilled group, however, you'll be far less likely to get played like a fiddle. So yes, knowing about conformism and any or all of the black arts described in the episode can make you a more skilled thinker and less likely to be party to the negative results. And from learning to walk to mastering guitar or the art of critical thinking, there's a long process of learning mixed with failure. It's likely that life is too short to actually master any of those, but we can definitely get better with each day, even if it's just a slow and steady progress. What do we do about the problem of fake news? Social media speculations, fake news, conspiracy theories, so far have led to murder and other crimes committed by individuals invested in that information. I can link to a couple of stories in the show notes, but it doesn't take much to kill a human being. And I'd say the minimum you need these days is fake news. None of that innocent until proven guilty stuff. 
that's why the way we wrote this episode is actually not even far-fetched. A recent guest of Sam Harris's podcast, uh, Renee DiResta, talked about how one way to regulate this would be for companies like Google or Facebook to put more effort in pinpointing fake news because it's happening on their platforms. So this isn't a small task and she recognizes, but she's right saying that companies should give more attention, especially ones like Google and Facebook who are curating what you're seeing. Um, so the primary reason they are at least partially culpable is that they are specifically curating what you're seeing based on their proven desire to encourage negative emotion. If it bleeds, it leads is an old adage, but it becomes deadly environments like these where this laser targeting that's possible based on our interest are fully exposed. So listen to Sam's recent podcast with her and also listen to the one that he does recently with the author of Zucked. Um, if you really want to get pissed off. So it's really easy to talk about what the government or companies should do for us while sitting and enjoying what's behind our screen. But it's harder for us to do what's good for us. So yes, these platforms can stack the deck against us and make it hard to get the information we want if they're filtering it in malicious or commercial ways. The reason fake news is so potent is again because our lack of education in the tools of rhetoric propaganda critical thinking to name a few make us so easy to manipulate if an online article is neatly packed and has half correct english average people will swallow it whole the best way to fight fake news is by educating kids about critical thinking both in school and at home and this isn't to fix today but to fix tomorrow Kids are going to have to learn to look at everything online with a highly skeptical fact checker's eye. And I wish I had more confidence it was going to happen. Was there fake news before the internet? There's a quote by John Adams, one of the founding fathers, who said, there's been more new error propagated by the press in the last 10 years than in 100 years before 1798. So this was a reply to a philosopher stating that the free press would revolutionize how we get knowledge and result in a better informed society. The volume of fake news, which for my purposes here I'll define as skewed versions of real news trying to create a convenient narrative to sell products, propagate lies or dogmas, it definitely outweighs real news by a significant factor. And it's getting more sophisticated every day with voice, video, and audio software becoming available to mimic someone online in a very convincing way. So listen to my behind the podcast on this same episode for information on a guy who dissected the hacking of YouTube's algorithm and what's actually going on. So what do you think we should do? One path would be to completely distance ourselves from media. What monkey don't hear, don't hurt him. It doesn't seem that that really is going to align with the idea of critical thinking, because if there isn't anything to think about, how can we be critical? When you think about it, the only time fake news becomes a problem is when there's enough people, meaning us, who take it seriously. Let's go back to the previous Adam statement. This is actually a perfect statement if he actually said it in the first place. I didn't fact check it, so perhaps it just played into my narrative here. Um, but it's a perfect statement to use in propaganda and another great thought experiment. The philosopher gave what I'm guessing he believed is a noble idea, because really, if there are no oppressions of news media, 
the media outlets can be more productive and people can get information easily. This supposed Adams statement is a statement on how free press can easily get manipulated, hence fake news. And if you consider everything happening, no matter if it's the 18th or the 21st century, it sounds like a reasonable thing to say. But that kind of statement can easily lead to laws to constrain media, for example. So which is the better truth? A free press where we get open circulation of information or a detained press where we don't allow just anyone to say what they want? In other words, what's the worst truth? Complete freedom where anyone can create fake news and thus manipulate society or a constrained press where again, the government can manipulate society with laws. The former is the United States right now and the latter is more or less the likes of Russia or China. Ultimately, recognizing the booby traps is a critical skill if we don't want to get manipulated. It has to be done from the ground up with the next generation and I'm skeptical if it's even possible. If rhetoric was once honorable, what happened? It's hard to say, but it would definitely be interesting to research how rhetoric moved from an art of discussion and into a cross-purpose marketing skill in today's age. But one of the certain big shifts was made by Edward Bernays, the pioneer in public relations and propaganda. His book is simply titled Propaganda, and if you're interested, it's a great book to pick up uh, to get a better understanding of where marketing started back in the early 20th century. Even more interesting, he's a great uncle of the Netflix co-founder, Mark Randolph. So I guess marketing success runs in those genes. And Bernays' uncle was Sigmund Freud. Now this shit's getting weird. Uh, Bernays was a fascinating man who started by theorizing that people become extremely irrational when they are in mass. So to put more precisely, that's when the herd instinct kicks in. And he thought this could be used to control big groups of people. So his tactics, which were considered highly experimental back then, introduced smoking to women in his famous Torches of Freedom campaign. So you have to understand back in the early 20th century, women smoking was considered taboo. Bernay portrayed cigarettes as a symbol of independence and hired women to openly smoke during an enormous parade. Soon enough, cigarette sales among women skyrocketed and the American Tobacco Company got what it wanted bigger sales based on so-called female independence. So here we see an example of the genesis of rhetoric turning into propaganda. Then marketing and the rest is history. So using our emotions to sell us products, ideas, beliefs has been on the rise ever since. You won't find a startup company today that's not doing some sort of growth hacking based on selling emotions. Products and features never sold well and in the ridiculously crowded marketplace today, selling to fear and other powerful emotions is the only way to survive. But this is where we can find a great tool to learn. So in hindsight, try and put yourself into the situation back then. It's the 1920s, there's no internet, and barely enough TV to get information from. Do you think you'd be able to see through the marketing plan that he had laid out for women? Even better, there are similar campaigns happening today, lots of them. So what's the most recent one you can remember? How were you able to see through the lies for what they truly are? One thing's for certain, there are a lot of examples on which you can practice your nose for spotting bullshit. Just go on Instagram or Facebook and search something like travel or cosmetics or fashion. Look at the imagery in, in text. 
It's mostly rhetoric and propaganda, leveraging some fear that we have about ourselves. Try to see it for what it is. There's a whole other world once you've taken the blinders off. Is this really what happens in politics? Are elections really won more on misdirection and fallacy than on a platform of truth, say, in the United States? So again, I'm not qualified to comment on politics, but my non-expert, regular citizen opinion is that it does feel like it. One thing's for certain, money is the fuel, and whoever pays the most gets to play. Candidates spend most of their time adjusting to investors because they need money. And an investor will only be willing to give money if he or she is going to get something in return. So I mentioned my corrupt U.S. state of Illinois earlier, and it reminds me of the one of the most famous ones, one of the most recent ones, uh, Rod Blagojevich. He famously got caught, recorded, trying to do some kind of sale or horse seat of Obama's Senate seat when he became president. So he was famously recorded, you know, in a, in a room he should have should not have been speaking openly, saying something along the lines of, I've got this thing and it's fucking golden. I'm not just giving it up for fucking nothing. It's all just horse trading. From the minute they decide to run for office to the day they end up in jail. And because it's all about money, they have to say whatever it takes to get elected and they need to be clever about it. Enter rhetoric, fallacies, mental misdirection, and propaganda. If the pieces are organized like this, the interests of individual politicians and the corporations who own them prevail over the interests of the nation. It's a never-ending game of monopoly, but with real money and real issues at stake. A study I, I looked at showed that a company can get back an insane 22,000% return on their lobbying reinvestment. And I don't know the numbers, but I read once that the the number of lobbyists to politician is, you know, the ratio is insane. The amount of money and lobbyists that are going after the members of Congress every day. It's all just sick and wrong. I mean, any of us would be tempted that if every dollar we invested, we could get back 22,000. So I'm clearly not informed to participate in conversations on how to fix this. But what I can do is provide a fictional story mixed with real data that gets at the issues and hopefully poses the question for everyone else to think about. And maybe someone listening with political skill will get pissed off to do something I'm not qualified to do, like develop an AI politician. <laughs> I'm not giving that up. Who can I trust? I'm going to punt on this one and continue to put my faith in Sam, the AI uh, politician that actually is running for office in New Zealand. Um, I'm kidding, but not kidding. There is an actual artificial intelligence that is at least at the time of uh, writing, running for office in New Zealand. And here's a quick tip I heard from Paul Stamets in a podcast. If you're in a party, at a party, where there are both right and left political-oriented people, and you want to avoid a pointless argument, just talk about saving bees. Because both sides agree it's highly important that we save bees. And it probably is. So who can you trust? Bees. To pollinate your food, and save you from annoying political discussions. Who is most at risk and how can I help keep my kids away from shit like that? So I have a young daughter and I ask myself this question a lot, too much probably. We left the country for the entire second year of her life and pretty much the second year of uh, Trump's presidency. 
As we looked back at the whole circus of his presidency and what was going on in politics from afar, it just seemed so ridiculous. But the conversations going on that we would catch as we were trying to avoid it, it they, they looked so ridiculous, yet everyone was taking them so seriously. It kind of made us want to just move to British Columbia when we got back, like that movie, Captain Fantastic. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. And basically teach Stella how to be a hunter-gatherer instead. Um, but since avoidance is not actually a, a solid strategy, I mean, one cure, of course, is education. And the second one is teaching them to think with their own head without getting imprisoned by their own head. So I believe we can help kids by talking to them, asking questions, and listening to what they say. Kids are really smart and I think they're only limited by the inputs that we enable for them. So for our, our family, there's going to be no YouTube kids or anything similar where there are about two or three bad click decisions away from being in a click hole of ill repute. I've watched some nature videos with, with Stella on YouTube and, you know, their short attention span. Without, while I'm holding the, the, the iPad, she can click two or three times to the point where we're all of a sudden watching some horrifying video that I just don't want her to see. In the end, the best cure sounds to be the most generic and cliche, but the more I think about this challenge, the answer with kids is just to love them. Cue the Beatles, all you need is love. <laughs> I mean, but you know, just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it's without value. You know, love is the cure to all the crap that this world throws at us. So I think if we stick to that, we'll be good, right? I mean, in this context, if we mean, if we mean to love our kids, we'll help them develop better bullshit detectors, help them see through the rhetoric and propaganda all around them every day, including in corporate marketing, help them think for themselves, even when that means that they might see things differently than us, and ultimately, love is listening for issues before they manifest in bad ways. So I'm, I'm toying with a book idea about these things because I worry about how I'm going to help guide her. And I definitely like your feedback. So reach out to me on the socials or my website if you want me to write the book and send me your questions, ideas, challenges, thoughts. It's all about love, man. So with that, it brings us to the end of this AMA. I answered all that I had time for here, and I think I got to the questions that mattered most. So this will have to cut it. I hope you enjoyed this. Support the podcast. Share it if you can. Thanks. Take care. And thanks for listening. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. 
And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.